1: Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. I'm Wynn Powers. Andrew,
2: how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so good. We just had a very long recording because it was just so much fun with Jeremy London. This is a marathon. It was. Yeah. This was fantastic. We had Jeremy London on, who you know from Mallrats, Party of Five. You and I have talked before about how we grew up watching Mallrats. It was fantastic to meet him, talk with him, and today to cover the history of amusement parks, which he had a serious connection to that I did not realize it was that big.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. We did not realize, like, he asked, like, for some topics and everything, just like, hey, let's, uh, l- like, what were th- some things that we could possibly do? And that was on there. And damn, he was, he took to it. Yeah. He took to it like a fish to water. We normally record for, like, an hour. We try to keep it really tight. This, like, we're going to cut it down.
2: We're at an hour 47. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're, like, almost two hours in.
1: We're going to cut it down. And, you know, but man this was mall rats is like i i i mentioned to him on the episode sorry you're gonna hear this again but that was like my comfort food movie for the for like a long period in high school and it's so podcasting is fun is what i'm trying to say it
2: is this one was so much fun and guys i know we're going to be over an hour for the episode so we don't keep you too much longer in the intro but we had a blast on this one i'm sure you guys will too so let's get into it let's go Jeremy London, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Oh man, you guys are paying me a lot of money, so yeah, <laughs> I kind of have to have to have to be here.
2: Really blew the budget on this one.
3: <laughs>
1: it's uh,
2: with with the entire hundred dollars we made over the last two months. That's all going into this. Woo! One. <laughs> man,
3: I've already got uh, a stake with my name on it. With that, I'm, I'm, <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Just glad to be here, man. Yeah, this this will be fun.
2: I'm I'm glad you could find time for us. I know you said you're working on a new project right now. At least one, right?
3: Yeah, we've got a, quite a few things going on, but right now. Now I'm, I'm co-directing and producing a movie uh, down here on the Mississippi coast uh, called interfere. And, uh, uh, it's a, just hilarious sci-fi comedy. You know, there's just a, nothing, you know, it's too serious about it. i play just a complete asshole sheriff in this town <laughs> and we've just, you know, it's just fun thing. And the thing is, is my, my business partner in it. He, uh, owns the, uh, the studio in uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi called WGUD. And last year they made this little movie called Interfere for like 2,500 bucks. And it actually is really, really good. And so they got, they've got gotten such good response from it that they decided to make a feature film of it. it to, you know, a big one of it. And so I basically helped them rewrite the script and I'm helping direct it. But it's it's I have an acting school also here in Mississippi called London Arts Acting School. And the beauty about being able to be a part of these movies uh, in in my home state here is that I get to uh, put my students in these movies, you know, and so then I get to actually see you know see see my students who kind of came into the class. A lot of them were very green, and being able to watch them grow has been an, an insanely rewarding experience. And then actually getting to put them in movies is just it's, it's a bit mind blowing, you know. I promised them whenever I started teaching that I wasn't only going to uh, teach them how to be in movies, but I would do my best to help them get in them. I could Nothing I can do other than, you know, hope the right projects come along or any projects at all. And then, you know, push them in the right direction and help open the door. But a lot of times, you know, I've been blessed enough to be able to actually be in charge of, you know, sort of w- which, which one of my students uh, would really knock a character out of the park. And so I was able to put a bunch of my students in this movie and it's been just cause they're all just, they're watching them grow. has been amazing, but they're all so good.
1: Well, they're learning <laughs> from the best. So of course. Well,
3: thank you. I mean, uh, that really, I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's trip. You know, if, you know, if I didn't go through crazy Things that I've been through in my life, I never would have probably been in the position to where I have to go. Wow, well, I man, I better think about doing something else. And <laughs> what else can I do? I mean, I really wasn't that qualified for much. And so, you know, at least you know, thought hey, i would give this teaching thing a try. And I really didn't think I'd be any good at it. Turns out I'm pretty decent at it, and I really enjoy it. And the biggest reward for me is not knowing what the hell they're doing, yeah, <laughs> at all. And then watching them get to the point where I actually feel confident putting them in a movie. You know, it's a trip. Yeah, that's amazing. That's- uh,
1: I mean, I gotta say, I feel ripped off. I went to acting school down in Alabama and apparently I should have gotten one state fucking over if I yeah, wanted to get the man. real experience. <laughs> Damn. Dude,
3: hey, listen, I teach on I teach through Zoom and whatever, man. I teach online. I'm glad to work with you anytime you want to. That's London Arts Acting School.
1: Might hold you to it. It's been a while. I've been out of the game for a bit. I've been doing the podcasting
3: thing for, <laughs> for yeah. a while now. Well, that's perform you know, this is all sort of off the cuff and it's and it's what, what's nice about it is it has uh, gotta, you know, you have to be on the ball. You can't you can't just sort of phone this in, you know, so it's improvisational at least. Oh, you know? no,
1: yeah. No, it's a great time. I, I love this. I, I, I very much do. I went to school for like uh, musical theater and acting and on screen acting down now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spent a lot of time in Mississippi. My wife actually went to Mississippi State.
3: How about that? Very cool. I love it here. Oh, it's it's great.
2: Where are you from, Andrew? I'm in Chicago with Wen right now. I'm actually I, I grew up in Florida, which I know you spent some time there as well.
3: Oh, that's right. Yes. I mean, that is where my son is. That's where my ex-wife lives now with my boy, and that's where they live in Riverview and Gibsonton area, which is Gibtown, which is Carney, the carnival wintering spot for the where that's where the people in the carnival go to spend their winters.
2: It's so perfect.
3: Yeah. So, you know, whenever you told me that you you wanted the topic of amusement parks and carnivals and stuff like that, I just, you know. It's, it's meant to be, right?
2: Absolutely. I've got stories.
1: This is why we get Jeremy London on here, because that was the perfect segue. Like that was, a, that was a, a fucking flawless segue that I don't think any of our guests beforehand have ever mastered. Yeah. I've done this twice. Yeah, it's, that, that's it. You, you're you coming off as somebody who's clearly done it three upwards of four times. Uh, so at least
3: three times.
2: <laughs> Acting was, was one of those things I did when I was a, a kid, you know, like, like most kids do. And then uh, I got into adulthood and started getting into comedy. And during the pandemic, you know, started doing Zoom sketches and everything, which required acting again. And it was one of those things where I thought I was good as a kid and started doing it now. And I had to think, like, am I bad at this? I <laughs> I, feel like I'm bad at this now. Do
3: you go on auditions and stuff like that and get...
2: No, the acting has just been for, like, the solo sketch stuff for now. It's something I'd, I'd like to to get into uh to, to do more, because obviously I'm, I'm more on the, the writing side. But that's now if you want to do comedy, you have to do all of it, which, I mean, I enjoy. I just have to get good at it.
3: Yeah, it's true. It's true, man. And, you know, and the truth is that comedy is the single most difficult thing an actor can do. I mean, it's it's way harder to make somebody laugh than it is to make them cry.
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm going to use this quote and just send this to my mother. Uh, <laughs> <now>.
3: <laughs> it's the most difficult thing in the entertainment industry, and it steals your soul when you can't, you know, if, if you're not doing it right. But it's so rewarding if you are doing it right. And once you figure it out, you're still always Learning and still always figuring out. You know, I once again, sort of going back to the cocky me, but when I was younger thing when I got Mall rats, I thought Kevin Smith was out of his damn mind. And I didn't think it was funny anymore. I thought it was funny when I first read it, but we rehearsed everything to the point where it just wasn't funny anymore. And not only that, he would have this stopwatch and we would be doing the lines and he'd just be like, that's not, not fast enough, faster, faster. And that's like I said, I came from these shows where we won the Emmy for Best Drama and then Golden Globe for Best Drama. And my idea of what acting and all that stuff was very sort of controlled. It wasn't that it wasn't a director telling you faster, fast. So, you know, here I'm thinking, man, this will never work. <laughs> this guy. He's never gonna mount anything. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you a truth thing right now. I watched Mallrats every weekend for the entirety of my sophomore year.
3: You smoked a lot of marijuana. You smoked a lot of weed. It was
1: literally the movie that, like, we were sitting around. We couldn't find anything on, and we just like, you want to watch Mallrats again? And we always watched. It was always Mallrats, and it was a, that was a big chunk of my life right there. That movie every weekend.
3: It's weird because you know people would walk. We we're walking out of the theaters when this thing was in the theater. Nobody wanted. Nobody got it. It took people being at home watching it multiple times, you know, with their beers and bongs and all of that stuff to really realize what a gem it was. Because, I mean, it took 10 years for anybody to even recognize me from that movie. I'm, I mean, it, came, it it left theater so quick. They, you know, almost gave everybody their money back. I did go. (laughs) I remember being so excited to go see it with my dad in in LA. And we, the premiere was such a knockout success, you know, very star studded kind of event. I was convinced the movie was going to be a huge blockbuster. And I took my dad to see it out in Los Angeles. And we walked in and there was barely anybody in the theater as it was. And then at least three of the six people that were there walked out more than, you know, less than halfway through the movie. Oh yeah. man, it was like, wow, holy
1: crap. It's so wild to me because it's just like, it's like in my comedies of just like, this is comfort food. This is like my, this is one of my comfort food comedies
3: and I think it's, Gotten its due now. Well, that's why they need to make another one, man. We need to exactly you know, keep saying we're going to make it. I don't know. He just, for some reason or another, I don't know if it's financing or what. You know, he keeps making the clerks movies. Right.
1: I listen to, to his podcast regularly because I like to steal from people who do this a lot. Hey, uh, yeah, man. That's what good artists do. Exactly.
3: <laughs> you know, you know why? Because it works. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Good artist seal. That's the whole thing. It
3: is. It is. You still have to do it. Bottom yeah. line. It's more like good artists emulate. Because you know, it's it's not cut it's not cut and paste. You still are doing it. You know, it's one of the things I tell my acting students. I tell them before you know worrying about memorizing words uh, in a scene, to memorize the scene itself and what's going on in the scene, and put actors that you admire in the roles. It's called uh, creative visualization. And I always put actors that I admire in the roles because they do things that I wouldn't maybe do myself. You know, they make these choices that I wouldn't do myself. And uh, so it just sort of was about sort of a different different type of perspective.
1: This is my shit. I I I like. I went to school. I went to school for this. This is this is my. I love this shit. I live for this shit i'm having a great time
3: good it's not that complicated
1: you know some people will try to convince you that it
3: is <laughs> they do and usually those people are the ones that really have no business teaching anyway because they need you to believe that it's complicated that yeah. way they you believe <laughs> that they've got some mystical answer to some great problem that you know this this thing that is as an actor you've got to you know find the magic key and all of a sudden you're just boom you're a great actor it's, it's not that complicated
2: yeah because it is something that at least success and it feels so ephemeral that it's very much like one of those like oh oh yeah, there's gotta be like one secret, right? That once I know that I'm hugely successful and know how to do everything.
3: (laughs) Right. And you know, the fact is, is that most acting books, you like Uta Hagen and, you know, Meisner and all this, you know, they're these. you get these big books. And the truth is, is most of that is hogwash. First of all, those people never acted in movies. And so why (laughs) the hell are you taking their word for it? And then on top of that, honestly, all you really need to know to really be an actor, it can be written in a book about this thick, not this thick about that thing so all of that extra is bs to confuse you to make you think that they know something that you don't know or that you'll never know and you have to keep working at it working at it before you will know it and all it does <laughs> is fill the actor's head with a bunch of doubt and uh, insecurities that get in the way and that cause anxiety and cause things that, that actually get in the way and interrupt the actual ease of what it is to play make-believe, which is all you do. <laughs> you <know?
2: laughs> I'm so much more confident going into this now. Ne- next good. sketch I do, I'm, I'm going to just.
1: Yeah, no, seriously, good. everyone who's listening, please sign up for his acting school because this is shit that I've been thinking for years and I've been told was <laughs> not the, not the truth. So
3: fuck. Yeah. This is awesome. I love it. Yeah, man. that's Good. I, I'm telling you, I, I, I can write an acting book and I probably will. And it's, it, it won't be very long.
0: <laughs> I can tell you
3: that because it doesn't need to be. The bottom line is, is you teach people how to do it. You teach people how to get to where they need to go by teaching them the proper way to learn. You know, there's a right way and a wrong way. And most people approach it the wrong way because they approach it the lazy way that what they think is the easy way by, you know, worrying about words first instead of content and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's me yammering about my, you get me on, see, that's one of my passions is my my teaching, you know, and you guys get me yammering about that. No, Absolutely. I love
1: it. No, we'll get into the history
3: probably soonest. Sometime, but yeah. Let's, let's just
1: have a fucking good time. That's what I
3: say. That's what this whole show's about. This is great, man. I, I, I enjoy this. And I'm glad that we're actually getting sort of to, to all see each other too, as well. Um, even though maybe the audience won't because it's more of a connected thing. But yeah, man, I could but I could go on and on about everything. I mean, I just, I'm almost 50 years old and just took some pre-tests to start getting my degree in psychology. And I aced really? all of them. Yeah, like three days ago. and I, I aced all of them. Oh, hell yeah. I haven't been in school in 30 years and I didn't know how I was going to do it. Oh,
2: that's fantastic. Well, congrats. Thank you, thank you. Awesome. Thank
3: you. It's just something I've always wanted to do. I don't you know if I'll ever apply it to anything more than even my teaching. Then
1: just being better and more intelligent than you were the day
2: before yeah.
3: <laughs> really to kind of understand what the <laughs> hell it is that makes me crazy whenever I'm crazy you know?
2: <laughs> I was actually pre-med before getting to comedy and that was was going to be my major too was was psych for my undergrad wow. I loved it. it was absolutely fascinating that's probably why
3: I, I like your humor so much in your tweets
2: me up. Oh, thank you so much. That that uh, yeah, which is how I, obviously you and I first connected was was on Twitter. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I I love the way that that all of this comes together. So no, please keep us updated on that too, and hopefully that's going to end up in some sort of psych comedy thriller. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the the goal uh, <laughs> that the future movies are going to get out of this. So and I I do want to get into some of the, the personal stuff too on the other side because you told us before this that your Carney connections, which worked out so well for this. So going to get into the history of. of affairs and amusement parks in a minute but personal stories first what is your background here because that was incredible
3: well uh you know oddly enough my ex-wife mother of my my youngest son uh wyatt uh, Juliet, who is actually she's my agent she's a She and I are super tight. She's like my sister. We're very close, even though we weren't, we, we didn't make it as husband and wife. We get along really well now, which is wonderful, you know, mostly for the kiddo also, but also we actually genuinely like each other. You know, she grew up in the carnival in the late 70s and early 80s when it was as shady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, that's the most dangerous time to be working at the
3: carnival. Could even imagine. She, when she was five years old, her dad and her mom were both carnies and they ran. So, all of the little un- things, the games or the vendors are all called joints. And her dad owned a cut, a, ran a couple of game joints and they were crooked as hell. <laughs> so one of them was the, the thing that you'd throw the softball in and it would have to uh, hit a backboard and have to land in the basket. And he, he would you know do it and show people how easy it was throw it up and hit off the backboard and land in the basket and then as right before they would throw he would slip a spring in right behind them you <laughs> would so nobody's every time their softball would hit it, it would bounce too far and nobody could get it in the basket because he'd put a spring behind it so when she was five years old it was her job she was right so whenever you approach the game joints you know out there and they've you know got all the toys and shit uh, all over the place she was underneath the cabinet in front of him and he would get money and toss it down to her. She's five years old. And it was her job to take the money and stack it and count it. And so he's grabbing people's money and just tossing it to his five-year-old kid underneath the thing. And it was her, she was in charge of the money at five years old.
1: She has a little green visor and she's like crunching yeah. numbers.
3: She like would break people's legs that would try to run away and not pay. she just snap them. But man, they, they would do some shady stuff, man. You know, I don't know how much she's okay with me sharing. You don't have to
1: sure. go into to, to all of it, but this is, that's story itself with the spring and her counting the money underneath the table is amazing
3: and so there was also so the joints themselves all you know had pull down panels on the front that they would prop up you know for business time or whatever and you know they would be inside doing their thing or whatever but this one i guess whenever they became hydraulic or something like that at some point there were two different i don't know if they were eateries or whatever the hell they were but she said she a friend of hers when she was I don't know, nine or 10 years old, was walking down the, the middle of uh, Midway just off to the side or something like that. And two of the doors opened at the same time like that and cut the girl's head off. Oh
1: my God. Like,
3: picked the girl up off the ground and freaking sliced her throat and almost cut her head off and killed her. And then she saw this happen. <laughs> then there, there was this one jackass, that, you know, there's this one, uh, this is all like the local the the carnivals that move around that just go from place to place. And so the one that was just it was just a circle and it just kept going around in circles, circles, circles. This one jackass was showing off for his girlfriend and tried to jump the track while the, the guy that ran the ride tried to jump the track when the thing was at the top and it came down and clipped him and lifted him all the way up in the air, like, what, 30, 40 feet up in the air by the, like, neck, and then dropped him at the top. (laughs) And so all of these kids on the ride are having to witness this dude lose his life, like, you know, just then watch him fall to his death and splat on the ground with all these kids. Hey, kids, let's go to the fair today, kids. This is
2: horrifying. I'm
1: I'm very curious how we're going to get into where this all went wrong, because so far this sounds...
3: <laughs> I wonder. I can't imagine where it all went wrong.
1: <laughs> Andrew, what about you? What are your your experiences?
2: Nowhere near that horrifying. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> like I, I mean, I went to Disneyland a couple times and saw Mickey. That was that was about it. No, I mean, I, I did the uh, fair as, as a kid. Jeremy and I were talking before this. I know my father spent a good deal of his youth just kind of hitchhiking around the country. I don't know what happened <laughs> during a lot of this time, but he told us about the language that Carnes would use to discuss business in front of customers, which is, you know, just a simple modifying word. And he taught us this when we were young, and he seemed to have enough Carny knowledge that I assumed at some point <laughs> there was a connection.
3: If he was a wandering... Rolling Stone whatever back in, he wound up with the carnival at some
2: point right I, I assume he did something
3: <laughs> that's all they were back in the day all of the people back involved with the carnival back in the day back in, were running from something yeah <laughs> they were hiding from something they were running from something which you mean you got a lot of criminal elements on there man yeah
2: I don't know how in- involved he was but he at least had friends and, <laughs> and I assume took some matchups
3: what is this language so what's this language
2: it was just called Carney, but maybe it had different language depending on region but like our intro for this show is hello and welcome to here's and wrong which we pronounced as uh, here's lo here's and where's elk, here's um here's you here's ear here, where's air is it where's that where's all you're just adding erz into the center of a word you know it, it doesn't take when is staring at me so confused did you just speak
1: like sorry it started like cutting out while you were speaking and then it came back and I was like oh no Andrew's having a stroke <laughs> Andrew, I can't believe you speak fluent Carney. Yeah,
3: yeah, I'm impressed. I don't even know what my ex-wife, if she did, she never let me in on that one. Maybe it's Carney insider knowledge.
1: I speak enough Carney to like order in restaurants, but not like conversational. No, I
2: mean, it's not like you have to learn new words. You just add ERZ in between syllables. So it was simple enough. And he taught us this when we were kids. And this was something that we thought was normal. We thought like, oh, everyone knows Carney, And then we found out like, no, that's not a thing. Anybody knows. Yeah, no,
3: man, I don't even know if the Carney that I know knows Carney, <laughs> but she might, I mean, that might've been, you know, you never know, but I, regardless, you know, it was a completely different sort of underbelly of society. They had their own everything.
2: Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, this way you could easily identify marks and point out how this game was being set. It was all used for, towards the con. So it was useful to have your own language <laughs> so you could discuss things openly.
3: And, and the con it was, man, I mean, oh, they, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a grift and a half for the probably 95% of its existence. Oh, yeah. It really kind of has only been regulated in the last, you know, sort of 10, 15, 20 years at the
2: most. It's pretty new that it's like actually become... It was weird because it's painted as this wholesome thing throughout most of history, but it really is, as you said, about 15 or 20 years, it actually was wholesome. Before that, it was pretty horrifying behind the scenes.
3: Yeah, my ex-father-in-law and my ex-sister-in-law, they still own a lot of food joints and game joints and stuff like that. And everything is regulated the food inspectors come in and my ex juliet told me about you know she remembers having to sell green hot dogs just to get rid of the inventory you know
1: you can't just throw it out and it is close to saint patrick's day so it all makes sense It close right. <laughs> make it work
3: they probably save it for the last day because they knew that the whole town would be at home shitting themselves stupid <laughs> <laughs> they're like yeah save the green ones for the last day we're
1: gonna get the hell out of here anyway for me, the local park was, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and the local park was Liberty Land. They had a, a giant Old America theme park outside of, like, just right outside of Memphis, and they were famous for the Zippin' Pippin', which is a wooden roller coaster that Elvis Presley was fucking obsessed with.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I believe
1: it. Being Memphians, we're like, okay, well, that's uh, that's our theme park. He, he likes that roller coaster. They built the theme park literally around the coaster, <laughs> and Elvis was just, like, come in and rent out the entire theme park and let his daughter have a good day and then like he would leave and everyone else would just be on the outside just like what a great day we get to watch elvis ride rides because like <laughs> it is a like literally the king actually makes sense as a as his nickname because like the level of hero worship
3: in in my city oh yeah i know absolutely no i mean i you know i was teaching classes in memphis for a little while so i've spent some time up there but it's a great town i'm not surprised i is that still going there it's liberty what liberty town I and mean, liberty liberty city? land
1: it opened liberty in land. 74 it it closed in 2005, and then they dismantled the and Pippin', and now it's actually at a theme park up here in Wisconsin. They completely tore it down and then reassembled it.
3: Oh, isn't that cool? Is it still called that great name, and Pippin'?
1: Yeah, it's still called the and Pippin', yeah. <laughs> that's good. And uh, you can still go there, and uh, if you're from Memphis, actually, and show them your ID, they will let you ride it for free.
3: Oh, that's great. Yeah,
1: so, uh, so that was my big theme park experience as a child. We went there all the time the state fair would come through and they would like link up the the fair and the theme park would just like combine into one big thing the
3: greatest time of the year for a kid oh it was the best it was always at my birthday too i grew up in oklahoma and going to like the oklahoma state fair and it was you know always great and then i wound up in for you know do you know when we lived i grew up on a farm for a long time and so we would had show cattle and so i wound up you know showing a cow the <laughs> local state fair which was so exciting at the time
2: the had so much range it was (laughs)
3: oh my god we used to we used to and it was during the state fair we had in 4-h was this horticulture stuff that we did and literally it was a competition like a team competition that these every school would send to the state fair and we'd have to go into this warehouse and like you'd have to identify just all of these different types of leaves from trees and different plants (laughs) grains and all this stuff and i was 13 i think and my sister and i and our one first place than the the whole state at 13 years old uh, at the state fair, which was just, you know. That's
2: incredible. The dream. It was
3: such a huge deal to us. Did you get the blue ribbon? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah, you did. (laughs) Fuck
2: yeah, you got to get the blue ribbon.
3: It was like one of the greatest days of my life. And it wasn't it wasn't even just the winning, it was just being at the state fair, you know? The hubbub and the excitement and all of the glitz and glamor and smells and noises. And-
1: <laughs> right. The only competition I entered in the fair was the chili eating contest, which was the worst day of my life. I was like 11, I entered it like me and my buddy did, We got, like, through, like, I think nine bowls of chili and just spent the next day, like, all the rest of the day. We didn't get to ride any rides. Your
3: asshole had a way worse. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: Yeah, no, no. The next day was also bad, but the day up we're just sitting there, just like, we can't ride any rides. We're kids. Like, that was the worst decision we could have possibly made. We just had to, like, sit on the curb, run to the trash can and throw up, sit back on the curb. Our family refused to leave and take us home because they still had a full day of riding rides to go.
3: Yeah. They didn't eat chili. (laughs) They
1: all tried to talk us out of it. We were like, we we like chili. I think we're going to be fine.
2: How far were you from winning this at nine bowls? So fucking far,
1: Andrew. <laughs> so far. I think the winner ate like, I think, 17 bowls of chili.
3: So yeah, you didn't realize that there are people that actually do it professionally, which that is a whole other subject, man. That, people you know? cross
1: state lines to beat mine and my best friend's ass completely. <laughs> yeah, in chili.
2: <laughs> I hope they're telling this story today, too. <laughs> Remember that time we just kicked an 11 year old's ass?
3: Yeah, I remember back in 2007, I beat this 11-year-old dad. Yeah, man, that's so weird. Even this Joey Chestnut dude that eats the hot dogs, like... Oh,
1: I, I woke up and I, I watched all of it on July 4th. I had to do did. it. Oh, <laughs> it's a, I'll punish myself by watching it. I'm I'm in awe.
3: Oh, it's just like I would have nightmares about that. I like Watching other people eat anyway is horrible, but then like just shovel. And the, I think what gross is the dipping it in water part of it. Like, I want to puke whenever I see them do that. I'm like,
2: oh, what the hell? Yeah, oh, yeah. That was such a weird thing, too. Cause as you said, like watching someone eat in general is weird. And they gather these huge crowds where it's like all, all you're doing is watch something.
3: Eat. Let's celebrate ultimate gluttony. Yeah, <laughs> it's so American. It's incredibly American, and it's so typical too of this sort of religious world that we live in. You know, it's like yeah, look, it's literally one of the like sins. Like gluttony right. is like <laughs> one of the seven deadly sins, and we're celebrating the hell out of that.
2: But what if we also make you proud of it? Yeah, I was
1: about to say you get pride at the end because you get a trophy. So that's two. And you know, there's at least one person watching it just like, oh yeah, oh because yeah. that's lust.
3: Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. And you only get there by being envious of somebody else's ability to eat right. a bunch of hot dogs. I bet I
2: could eat more than them. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of more impressed with these contests now. Like I didn't realize they were wrapping up quite so many sins all in one. It's so- <laughs> for the times. <laughs> so this is our experiences.
1: Andrew, tell us, how did we get here? Let's let's do some of this history here. And it's a fucking, feel free to skip around because you sent me a research paper. I think this was my longest one
2: yet. I think I sent you 14 pages. Uh, so
1: we're not covering 14 pages. Let's give me some highlights, buddy.
2: No, I'm going to start at the beginning, uh, but then we're going to skip most of the middle.
3: <laughs> Where did the podcast go wrong? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew just got really obsessed with research on this one for absolutely no reason. Uh, so if we go back to the origins of amusement parks, they formed out of three long long-standing aspects of history, the fair, pleasure gardens, and exhibitions. So large picnic areas are also kind of discussed with this, but it's also like a picnic area. It's not that big a deal.
1: We're not going to count that shit. Yeah. The
3: last two sound like porn events or something. I don't know.
2: They really do.
1: I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> Pleasure Gardens and exhibitions. I
3: believe when I first moved to L.A., there was a place called Pleasure Gardens right down the street. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, and, and Pleasure Gardens were, were huge, and they, they started back in ancient Rome, at least the first century B.C.E., with the Garden of Celeste, which was maintained for over 400 years as this private estate, and then a garden, an imperial resort, until it was sacked by the Goths in 410. And these were different from regular public gardens in that they contained some sort of form for entertainment, either concert halls or bandstands, amusement rides, zoos, or menageries. Celeste was also this passionate. Palace, along with the gardens, which originally belonged to Caesar and then acquired by Celeste. So, after it became imperial property under Tiberius and made open to the public, they had statues and porticos built and these monumental sculptures, riding stables. The palace itself was a resort for the most elite, and the gardens being part of the attraction, so they were incredibly well cared for and became this place that everyone could enjoy. So, this was a huge thing in Rome at the time, and it continued to exist. And it was just like it was a garden with stuff.
3: Right. And, that, and to make those events work, you had to have vendors. You You had to have, you know, people making food and musicians, and you have all of that stuff that sort of plants the seeds for what becomes generally expected at these events, probably as it evolved, I'm sure. It did,
2: because it combined with the fair, which was the origin here, and actually one we can trace back a little farther, all the way to 500 BCE, though the earliest references are biblical in the book of Ezekiel. But the fair at this time, it's essentially a trading ground.
3: Right, which makes sense. It's markets that still, you know, you still see them in a lot of... These like sort of third world countries, they still, they haven't changed.
2: Yeah, and it, it was a, a chance for people for, from all over to come and both trade with each other and trade with the public, which is how kind of the origins of the, of the traveling fair, because this was a point where it was going to set up, it was going to be temporary, but you would have people from multiple countries traveling uh, hundreds of miles to get here. But it was an opportunity for merchants, but people were going to gather around religious festivals. In fact, the word fair comes from feria meaning holy day.
1: That day that I was throwing up from eating chili, that was a holy day. So, yeah, yeah, that was the I, one. I totally... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was praying to that trash can pretty hard, so. It turned into a holy day.
3: <laughs> Little did he know he was going to be talking to God all day. Oh, God. God. God, make it stop, God.
2: I'm glad Wen was keeping this tradition alive for, for all of us.
3: It becomes religious regardless just because you're praying not to die. Right. <laughs> at least not
2: die on the toilet. I had not considered the circles, but you're right. There's a lot of just like, I hope I don't die at fairs.
3: Yeah, and men, rides back in the day were so shoddy there was probably a hell of a lot of praying on those too oh yeah
2: it's okay we get to the, the early the early rides wait I looked at how some of these were powered like they the first roller coaster and they just got kids to push them like you just hired a group of boys and they just shoved you down the track <laughs> and that that was the first roller coaster. And they're
3: like, "Hope you get back." Yeah. <laughs>
1: we well, don't really measure a lot of things in boy power, but we really should.
2: <laughs> I mean, they had a, a lot of jobs where they just kind of hired kids cuz nobody else wanted to do it. Like uh, the original switchboard operators were originally teenage boys. They only switched over to women because they kept cursing at customers. Yeah. <laughs> Like they couldn't is like, guys, all you have to do is connect them. You just move a plug and they're like, okay, but I'm going to say, fuck you first. (laughs) That's
3: hilarious. I'm not surprised. No No. men, men haven't evolved. That was could have been a hundred years ago. And that's a blip in our freaking existence.
1: (laughs) You got the poison of
3: testosterone just running through your (laughs) veins to make you an asshole. We are going backwards. I don't know. We, we have to dip into all of that today, but golly,
2: holy cannoli. Um, That's a whole nother ball of wax. I suppose. It is. And
0: one we should cover too, because. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. It's it's absolutely insane. (laughs) I
1: was just going to say it's crazy because we've gone from uh, less science to more religion again, whereas the fair, see, I'm bringing it back. They (laughs) went from very religious all to agricultural, which is how we got the concept of cattle shows and the fair coming to America in 1811 by the Agricultural Society. Like, they had just completely flipped from religion to science at that point, right?
3: Right, And now it has kind of all of that still. I mean, because all of that meant, you know, money for local commerce and got sort of put back into making people's farms bigger and just keeping sort of the, the underbelly of America alive that was back in the day. Especially, you know, they fed everybody. Yeah. You know, and I think it was probably a good way for a lot of the world to start gaining that respect and admiration for them because i think you know up until people actually see it it doesn't become apparent they like people don't really like to see how the sausages you know yeah <laughs> once they get to like see the animals and be close to them and all that stuff i think probably they, i think it it, it grew a, a much bigger and broader uh, interest in all of that and it all really it helped to and, Emboldened and bolstered the whole uh, horticulture and indi- all of the horticulture industries, farms and just all of that. You
2: no, know, the, the level of growth was amazing. I mean, as as went said, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think it was eighteen eleven. Is before that, early on, the church had kind of realized. People were going to the fairs around the religious festivals, and they realized, well, we've—they're coming here anyway. If we sponsor these, we can get paid for it. And then, uh, 1800s, agriculture started developing in America. Really, the county fair was developed by Elkanah Watson, partnered with an agricultural society in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and this brought the first concept of the cattle show to fairs, where instead of just being a market, it was now a competition, uh, and there was there was prize money, which was actually seventy dollars at the time, which was pretty good payout for the time. I, I was thinking with uh, seventy dollars. Yeah, Back in 1811? That's good pay, yeah. That's got to be a hundred, a couple hundred bucks, right? I mean, oh, at yeah. least. At least, oh yeah. I'd say probably close to a thousand, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that's a
3: lot of money, $70 for 1811.
2: It really was. So Watson worked for years uh, helping other communities develop their own. By 1819, most counties in New England had their own agricultural societies. By the end of the century, almost every state and province had at least one agricultural fair exhibition. And evolution affairs over the next 100 years changed more than in the previous Thousand. Just like technology. I mean, yeah, it was just this huge explosion all of a sudden.
1: And to give you an idea, a hundred dollars in 1811 would be worth two thousand seventy-four dollars and two cents today. So yeah, this was a this was over a thousand dollars worth of money that they were giving out.
3: Seventy dollars was over a thousand.
2: <laughs> When I would love if you didn't have to look that up, if you just knew that exact number down to the two cents.
3: Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> yeah, but thank God for Google. though. you know, you don't have to crowd your brain with all that crap. No, you got Google. But but it it is it is cool knowing that stuff. But it, it is weird to think about, you know. But you know, things were a nickel was would get you a, a lot back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> well,
2: yeah. In, in fact, the, when we talked about pleasure gardens, the first one was Vauxhall Gardens. Was this big thing in 1732 the, for the opening day? 400 people, including the Prince of Wales showed up and they paid an entire guinea uh, to get in so
3: what's the difference between a guinea and a shilling that's what i want to know back in the day especially what was
2: that so i believe it was about the equivalent of a Penny to a dollar, Guinea being closer to a dollar, because after that, in fact, the price was reduced down to a shilling. And a
3: dollar back then was a lot. I mean, if seventy dollars it was a thousand, then one dollar was. This
2: was a purely high class event. In fact, after that, a Guinea bought you an entire year's pass, which would be printed onto a little silver coin with your name engraved onto it. <laughs> oh man, that must have been exciting. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say that coin would be my prized possession. <laughs> oh me yeah. too. Me too. I mean, I get excited about. It. I had a for a little while. I had a season past the Disney world down in Florida and I'm probably more excited than my children.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Disney was so good too at creating the for adults and for kids. Uh, Like if we go to traveling fairs real quick, that started like mid to late 1700s with basically equestrian. At this point, uh, you had Philip Astley who who would basically do trick riding and then he had to rest in between. So he hired acrobats and tightrope walkers and jugglers. Then it developed into circuses. You've got Barnum and Bailey coming up. Traveling carnivals are working parallel to circuses with a bit more of the stalls and exhibitions and performance and they just kind of come together and after the 1893 world's fair this was so massively popular that they kind of just figured we need to make a fairs had already kind of figured out a way to travel with circuses in the big top so that was it barnum and trains
3: trains really were where they they first started yeah and then the circus train was i mean it was when that thing rolled into town yeah imagine how exciting these little farm communities that never nothing ever happened there ever and then all of a sudden barnum and bailey rolls into town
2: it was incredible like i remember seeing the cartoons like and i didn't realize that was real when i was a kid when they have like the giraffe sticking its head on the top of these train cars like yeah oh it
3: was 100 percent. you know and could you imagine just think about what it must have been like to see a giraffe (laughs) yeah i mean whenever (laughs) when you've only seen donkeys and goats and horses your whole life
1: maybe a drawing
2: of a giraffe one time maybe
3: a drawing which you probably thought was just a Dr. Seuss made up something <laughs> or That doesn't exist.
2: I read an account years ago about Hannibal crossing the Alps because I, I couldn't figure out why he would put so much effort into elephants. Like, this was a lot of work. He lost most of them. I mean, they, they were amazing, but it's like, these were they were battle elephants. This had to cost you a lot of time, a lot of money. Why would you do this? Because it worked. Yeah, well, what I read was, was like, nobody had seen an elephant before. These were essentially monsters to them. Could you imagine
3: seeing It's like a dinosaur coming in.
1: Exactly. That's true. That's <laughs> some shock. In all tactics, right there. When you
3: didn't even have like a concept that a dinosaur even like existed, and then all of a sudden just running at you, could you imagine? You know how mystical it must have seemed, like sort of otherworldly god. Like this is a god,
2: you know. <laughs> that's it. If you're fighting a guy and it's like, oh, by the way, I got a demon on my side. <laughs> like that's that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah,
3: man, I'd call that an advantage.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So this was, in a positive way, the same effect that circuses and amusement parks had. It was that same shock and awe, but less terrify your enemies. Uh, You
3: know, you just, you get, you know, historically, the geniuses that were... Barnum and Bale, you know, oh yeah, PT Barnum and you know even oh god, what's the name of the the guy that got out of the the guy that got out of the handcuffs? Oh Houdini, Houdini, yeah. Houdini, oh, Houdini, Houdini. yeah Houdini, the showman. You know what I mean? Just it it truly all sort of spawned from a vaudevillian kind of roadside performer carny place. It all they're all carnies, man. It
2: was it it grew massively from this, and it was weird because like uh, down in in Florida, I lived a couple hours from Sarasota, which I went to once, which
3: is where the circus people winter.
2: Exactly that was. where where I went just to see the Rayling Museum, which was astounding. I mean, it was weird because this was, you know, you obviously had the Carney side, but also they made so much money from this and the Rayling Brothers were art collectors and they they turned this estate into a massive museum, which has a great Dutch Masters collection. So if you happen to be in Sarasota for like our two listeners that might be, <laughs> go check it out. I
3: have wanted to check that out, actually.
2: And I think that that does lead us into the, the development, too, of, of when this other form kind of came in with the official topic for this episode <laughs> was the amusement park, because this did give a chance for something much bigger to form. And I did some research trying to to find the first one and the very first one I could find was as a theme park, which was just, now it's in a fixed location. It's a amusement park with a theme. Santa Claus Land was the first one in 1946. So I started looking at how this came about, and it formed because there was a, a town called Santa Claus, Indiana. They named this in 1850s because they tried to call it Santa Fe, and the post office said they couldn't because there's another Santa Fe, Indiana. So they said, all right, fuck you, we're going to call it Santa Claus. And the post office was just like, fine, I guess that's, that's, I guess. Yeah,
3: you can call yourself
2: whatever (laughs) you want.
3: That must have been fun around Christmas.
2: That was it, because after that, it was the only city in the country called Santa Claus. So they received thousands of letters from kids trying to write to Santa. It was actually cool, though. Actually, the postmaster of the town gathered volunteers to help respond to all of these kids that were writing to the city. I love that story. It was great.
3: Back, I don't know, I think it was maybe like the 50s or something like that, when they started building North. You know what NORAD is?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's that under you know the underground military facility that's sort of where everybody's going to go if there's ever nuclear war and whatever. From the movie like War Games, that's where they were in War Games. So whenever they created NORAD, the general there had them put in a phone that was the a red phone that was just like it's that if they ever it was a direct line like to the president and supposed to be like a direct line to the president and it's it was only supposed to be used if there was ever you know like the nuclear bomb headed our way or whatever. And And they put in this red phone and right before Christmas, this phone just started getting bombarded by kids calling (laughs) for Santa Claus. And the general was like, what the F is going on here, man? All these kids, how are all these people getting this number? Nobody should have this number. And come to find out there's some like local, like, uh, I don't know, Sears or something like that, put an ad in a paper to the phone number to call Santa Claus. (laughs) And it was one number off of of what this number to this like nuclear phone was.
1: So it was supposed to go to like a Seer Santa Claus, and it went to the phone, and
3: that is incredible. To NORAD instead of like this, right? And so the general when he realized what was going on created the what is now the system of kids being able to track santa claus it all comes from <laughs> norad like during christmas yes and so the, the general instead of being pissed about the whole thing he was amused and not only that they started like taking these kids phone calls and stuff like that but, <laughs> you know, i clearly got a new number or whatever but they right. set up a whole different department for kids to be able to communicate with santa claus or that but that's how it happened is that kids thought they were calling Santa Claus, and they were calling for NORAD. That's <laughs>
1: amazing.
2: Like, what are the odds of that? Like, really? Good for NORAD too, for like leading into it. it's like, all right, I guess, I guess we handle nuclear war and Santa now. That's right. Those are our two things. Those
3: kids probably gave him quite the spook a few times like that. Oh yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some shit going down.
2: Like, oh yeah, that first kid that called that to be terrifying. <laughs> oh no! Ah, oh, here it
1: comes, the big one, and then it's just like, is Santa there? It's like, but <laughs> like, that's not the call I was expecting at all.
2: (laughs) I did not know that. That's fantastic. So we're, we're going to jump into the next big kid one then, too, because shortly after that, we had Disneyland appear.
1: Well, first we got to go into, they actually, because of the Santa connection, they built Santa's Workshop, which was the first big theme park, correct?
2: Well, Santa Land was the first one. And Santa's Workshop opened just three years later, 1946, they built it. And then a second one, because they're like, oh, the Santa theme works. Let's do more of that. And then Disney, obviously been working on this for a while, was like, we could have other themes that maybe aren't. Santa-related. And
3: I'm sure Walt Disney must have been inspired by those. Oh, yeah.
2: No, Disney actually traveled the country to different fairs looking for different ideas to create this theme park. So this this was actually huge. Obviously, we know the success of Disney. Uh, that was massive and, and really was one of the first theme parks. And I, I have a huge list here of the potential for where it went wrong, theme parks that didn't work. I found this list of failed theme parks, and they were broken up by country. And uh, I got to America and I didn't see any. I thought, oh, that's incredible. That and also doesn't seem right. It was because we have so many, they had to put it on a different site. (laughs) There must (laughs) be a thousand failed theme parks in America, uh, North America, most being in the United States.
1: <laughs> it makes so much sense to me because like I had Liberty Land growing up and and it's gone now because, you know, I think the small town amusement park just doesn't really exist anymore.
3: As technology evolved and then all it takes is one accident to bankrupt them, you know, just all kinds of stuff.
2: And I, I do have a lot here that didn't work and a lot of them, amazing number of them were based on, the, it was just either a country or a city theme or obviously Six Flags was, was Texas. There were a lot here that didn't work, but Wen had mentioned one I think is, rather than go through all of these. Before we get into
1: it, I got to say one of my favorite theme parks that exists. So you got Disney, which is based on Disney properties. You got Universal, which is based on WB and Universal properties. But uh, in the middle of Tennessee, you have Dollywood (laughs) that is based entirely on the works of Dolly Parton. And I have been there on family vacations with my wife's family. And it rules. It fucking rules.
3: (laughs) Dollywood rocks. Dollywood is so janky and it's great, though. I love it. The Screaming Eagle is one of the
1: best roller coasters I've ever been on in my life. It's awesome. Oh, and just Gatlinburg itself is magical.
2: Oh, Gatlinburg is amazing. I've never been, but I've also never heard a single bad thing about Dollywood. Same as Dolly Parton. Everyone just loves it and Dollywood. <laughs> yeah,
3: you can't. You just got to love because it it's Dolly Parton. There's nothing not to love about it. It's all janky horseshit. I mean, it's, like, it's a step away from being the, the county fair. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it's basically Six Flags over Gatlinburg, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So I just I just had to say, if we're going over the themes of countries and movies and everything like that, you can't just beat the theme being Dolly Parton because that's amazing.
2: In general, just Dolly Parton. <laughs> So yeah, th- there were a, a lot of failed ones here, and, and some of the, that were a little amusing. But we've been doing this for quite a while. So when, how about you tell us where it went wrong with this idea that you said? Because I thought this was fantastic. When where did it go wrong?
1: Where it went wrong was a theme park called Action Park in New Jersey, <laughs> and this is one of like one of the most excessively damaging parks that has ever been up. It's known as Traction Park, Class Action Park accident park. These are all things that is colloquially known as in the area. Oh no.
3: Class action. park. <laughs> That's not good. It
1: had in a bunch of guests. It was more affordable than going to Disney world, things like that. So it got people all over the New York area who would travel down to here to do it. And the rides were just poorly designed. There was basically people who were untrained. All the staff was underage. The guests and everyone there was drunk or and overserved. They didn't have serving limits.
2: Including the kids staff. The child staff was drunk operating these rides.
1: (laughs) And nobody ever really built rides like this. And they didn't really test them. It seems that they just kind of guessed how they were going to work and then sent people out there to try to build them. (laughs) The security director of the park after one of their first big incidents was a 21 year old who just happened to have been working there for two years. And they said he was experienced enough to be the security director of an amusement park.
3: What could go wrong? I don't, see the, I, don't, I don't see the problem. In total,
1: six people have died at Action Park, and these deaths were responsible because of the safety standards of the park would be repeatedly violated. State regulators would send a strong message, and they would do nothing at all because they didn't actually care. Yeah. <laughs> Injuries were so abundant that the park was brought down by personal injury lawsuits just becoming too expensive for the park to catch up. There's several documentaries on this. One thing that they had was just a rope that swung you out uh, from a bridge into a giant pool of water and people do flips and everything. They didn't like check the water levels and things like that. And also you have to understand this is up in New Jersey, New York area. They had situations where people would go in. This is their first time getting into the water all day. They would hit the water. It would be so cold that people would have heart attacks. It would have to be taken out by child
2: lifeguards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. The the other insane one, too, was that because they made this more affordable, you had people going here that had perhaps never been in a pool before. You didn't know how to swim, necessarily. And again, as Wen said, the child lifeguard, their wave pool, it averaged over two dozen rescues for lifeguards per
3: day. i imagine. I don't know how. Six seems low. I I think they got lucky with only six. That sounds like there's six a day.
2: It was, there. I mean, there were so many injuries. I, I was really surprised it was only six. One of the, the weirdest ones, though, was that they had a kayak ride and the river was propelled by these fans. Uh, one of the guys' kayaks tipped over and he when he, you know, got out to ride it, one of the fans' wires had come loose and electrocuted the water. Oh my God. <laughs> like, electrocuted on a water ride. It was insane that this place stayed open. Yeah,
3: definitely put water with electricity in a child. Yeah. room.
0: Yeah. yeah,
3: right? You had mentioned the,
1: the tidal pool where they had the two dozen drownings per day right. and the lifeguard <laughs> chair... Was known as the death chair, which <laughs> means like they would put people in there to break them in as lifeguards because they would start saving people's lives within the first hour <laughs> of sitting in the chair.
2: I cannot believe this place
3: existed. What parent sends their kid to this place? Like, how much oh. do you have to loathe your child to be like,
2: <laughs> negligent ones?
3: Go, please go uh, try that wave pull a few times. If it doesn't work the first time, come back.
2: <laughs> the, the reputation was, was so well done for this that it started attracting a clientele that exclusively wanted the place with no rules. Like it wasn't for the rides anymore. Oh
3: God, that just tells you everything you need to know about humanity.
1: Oh yeah, thrill seekers are a fun bunch. (laughs) One of their biggest things at this park was the Alpine Slide, which was a giant cement and fiberglass track where you'd sit on a completely open wheeled cart. So just basically a piece of wood with wheels on the bottom and a handbrake. Oh my God. Uh, And the handbrake typically didn't work. I was yes. even rusted, <laughs> locked up. Like people just slam into each other all throughout this because like you're just regulating it yourself. So somebody who's wanting to go slow is going to get railed by somebody who's going as fast as humanly possible. People are flipping off the track.
3: <laughs> I mean, I guess it does uh, add a, that extra layer of excitement to the day. Gives you a little bit more of a maybe I, Maybe I won't make it to the day.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you had, you had a person whose, whose brake was broken by locking up and immediately behind the person whose brake was broken by not working at all. So it was just full speed crashing into oh, each other. Oh my God.
3: Like I just don't understand how it made it past the first year. That is so bizarre.
2: Well, in fact, the owner would pay his employees to test out new rides. He'd pay him $100 for this. And one, one of the major ones they had, like the employees on the tests got bloody noses and bruises and they were banged up and he just opened it well, anyway. Oh, they're alive. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: no broken bones. We're good.
2: <laughs> yeah, no broken bones. He's alive. Mulvihill was the owner of this. and I, I read an account with his son who spoke proudly of his father. He said if he could find a guy with a crazy idea for a ride, he'd hire the guy even if he never built it before. And he said this is a positive. It was like, dude, this is why people kept dying. <laughs> you can go to the guy and then go talk to an engineer who might know what's going to happen. <laughs> there are other people to hire. Like
3: Donald Trump saying, I'm the king of death. (laughs) That's not something to brag about there, buddy.
1: If you want to know how great the park planning was, they put the beer pavilion
3: right next to the go-kart track. Well, I mean, listen, it sounds like a good time. I'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to lie. It's always sort of up the game a little bit when you
2: just might die, maybe. If you didn't die, you loved it. (laughs) It was very popular. But there was this weird thing where literally every other amusement park in New Jersey was fined for first offenses, except for Action Park. And it it led a a lot of people to wonder what its size of the state were. Even after the 1987 drown in, in a tidal pool, it was reported that under the state's regulations, it was technically just a pool not a ride so they only needed to have a lifeguard and to keep it clean. They didn't need any safety regulations beyond that.
3: Yeah, that sounds like the owner knew some politicians. Oh, sure, for that's sure. All that, that's, <laughs> that's all that is. That's just greasing in the right hand,
2: period. It was, oh God, one of the other ones they did, they wanted to widen their clientele. So they started advertising in Spanish language media, which would be great, except the employees didn't speak Spanish and they had no Spanish language signs for any of the safety warnings. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just bringing people in who had no no chance to be safe at all. It was, I could not believe this was shut down immediately, but it just kept going.
1: Well, here's the thing. Instead of hiring someone to translate the signs and hang up a separate sign, they just put up photos of injured children. <laughs> as if that was going to be enough warning to tell you <laughs> that this will result in injury. Which is horrifying. If you want to know about the people just like operating these rides, it was all like teens and things like that. And they would go and they would get hammered and they had a shed that they would just like do drugs and have sex in and fall asleep. And then they would wake up and open the park the next day hungover and like just let
2: everyone in. I, I cannot believe this place existed. And just, I, I mean, it, it received numerous citations for safety violations between 1979 and 1986, including the allowing minors to operate rides and failure to report accidents. But when the paper started digging into this, they found they were only fined once this entire time they just got away with absolutely all of it yeah
3: that's that only happens if you're in with the local people that, that call the shots the judge or something
2: it was ridiculously shady oh my god and it's New
3: Jersey come on
2: yeah
3: <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there's any surprise here in the 80s yeah. oh yeah in the 80s are you kidding Remember, they were that place was probably just used to be as for money money laundering for somebody's cocaine
1: business <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who, who they would be like I have a great idea for a ride <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, they, and they didn't give a f about regulation because it was a front for something else that was secondary. They're like, eh, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it did eventually close. By, by the way, <laughs> Mulvahill, at a certain point, he could no longer get insured, obviously. So he just created his own insurance company to, <laughs> to front his insurance. That's not shady. It, it eventually did shut down, but instead of prison in 2014, Mulva Hill bought it back with a new name. It's now Mountain Creek Waterpark and its advertising campaign is basically we hired people that won't let you die here this time. Uh. <laughs> like that that's it. It's just like, still fun, you won't die, come check it out.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, everything's so regulated now, man. There's no way, even the even just like local, uh, you know, carnivals, everything is highly regulated now. Yeah,
2: now they've actually have to have safety standards.
3: Thank God. I mean, enough kids died and enough people were maimed and whatever that eventually... You know. I know
2: it's safe this time. I just wish it was someone other than Mulvihill <laughs> that was making money from it. Hey,
3: those, those assholes will pay in hell. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> No, if you open the amusement park that failed horribly, you don't actually lose money. It's just just the park.
3: Yeah, and all the people that die, they might have lost maybe their life or whatever. But you know. Yeah, no,
2: definitely other people lost stuff from it. It's just not the owners. Exactly.
3: And that's why, you know, i put money on the fact that it was a front for some other big business.
2: I am sure there was numerous shady plans going on.
3: Just the idea of one of the rides
1: being a rope that you grab from a bridge and swing and drop yourself. In, like,
2: that is not that's
1: something that I do at like a lake with friends and like a cliff. And like, I know I might die. Right, Like you think that you're in an amusement park, so it's gotta be safe. Right. Right. And not only do you have to like survive the jumping part, you have to then land in water that gives people heart attacks that it's so cold.
2: There was a death from that ride too. Right. An actual heart attack from the cold water. I believe it. I believe it, man.
3: I had to jump into, I I did an episode of my first television series I was on and uh, this actress and I had to jump into a pond uh, in Georgia and we didn't realize by the time we got to the set they had already broken all the ice off the top of the pond oh wow uh, <laughs> and, and so we knew it was cold out and that it was going to suck but we didn't know it was so cold that they just knocked all the ice off of it and and i do, i remember what hitting the water and <laughs> i hit my heart hit my rib cage sure. and all my extremities <laughs> went numb and we just continued to sort of play, you know, like we were splashing around it or whatever, like, you know, like <laughs> and like it was fun until <laughs> they yelled cut. And as soon as they yelled cut, we were just like, oh, they're. Oh, just, I just couldn't believe they made us jump in this
1: freezing water. Congrats to acting through it because my first thing would have been to reemerge from the water and yell, what the fuck? We didn't want to do it again. We didn't, we didn't want to have to do it again. If we fucked
3: it up, then we didn't have to do it again. Oh yeah.
1: No, no. I know intellectually, that's what you should be doing, but my emotions would tell me to scream.
3: Oh, you we were pissed. I was mad, man. That's the first time I'd ever um, actually stood up for myself uh, with a on the set because I was pissed that they made me do that and because it it put my life I didn't realize but I mean it generally put my life in jeopardy because my heart hit my rib cage I felt it it was the coldest thing I'd ever experienced and so one of the producers came up and he was like oh my god that was incredible guys give us one more and I was like no I'll tell you what you go I told him I said you go jump in that water right now go jump into it and you splash around and pretend you're having fun and I'll give you one more he goes that's a (laughs) wrap you're in the ropes. Oh, God. oh man, that was brutal. So yeah, I, I I feel for those people and and the fact that you know anybody would want to jump in water in New Jersey and right.
2: kind of got it coming. This is a bad idea to begin with. Yeah, that yeah,
3: didn't start off as a, even a good idea, even if you were high on cocaine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we've covered the history. We've covered this. Theme park that murders people, which brings us to our next section, which is in their defense, where we now have to defend the theme park that murders people. (laughs)
3: So guests normally
1: get first crack if you want it. You want to give it a shot?
3: You know, I I grew up, uh, my favorite place to go to growing up was a place in Oklahoma City called Frontier City, which is just cowboy-themed goofiness, you know? But as a kid, it's heaven, you know? Yeah. And, And so places like that generally either just become outdated all of the rides you know they just stop putting new rides in and everybody's either ridden everything a thousand times or shit just starts falling apart (laughs) and then becomes a you know or they build a bigger better one down the road that people want to go to that have new modern technology and big roller coasters and stuff like that and sort of relegate it to the shadows you know i think these things fall apart mostly because of mismanagement and people funneling money into their own pockets rather than putting it back into the amusement park or uh, they just stop up putting, you know, they stop growing and society passes them by.
2: Yeah, just, you got up the stakes, you <laughs> end up with Action Park.
3: <laughs> yeah. If you don't always, you have to be evolving. The best amusement parks are always evolving. That's why even Disney World and Disneyland, as big as they are and as much money as they make every year, but it's also the same reason why the price of tickets are going up and up and up because they're always adding new stuff.
1: There's a new land every like two or three years at this point. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Because our ability to pay attention... <laughs> (laughs) Is not very refined. We always need new, 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 new. My brain with new
1: stuff. (laughs) Andrew, how are you going to defend action? That was a good one. How are you going to defend this? Look, if
2: you didn't die, you had a great time. Oh hell yeah! (laughs) This is. I'm not saying this was a good business model but people are going there specifically look people go to amusement parks for the feeling like they might die and Action Park offered that as a real possibility it's ultimately they're just catering <laughs> to their clientele do they do it horribly with you know a complete lack of morals sure but there are still people today that talk about the amazing time they had at Action Park because they survived it yeah. and that's that's a thrill you can't really recreate without that actual fear of death
3: it's like shared trauma <laughs> yeah. yeah no no you went
1: through something together everyone who's ever re- I didn't anything.
3: Yeah, like, uh, we went to war. Anyone
1: who's ever ran the Alpine slide at, at Action Park can be like, you wrote that? I did, too. And, like, they'll have a story to
3: tell. You're just, bro- you're just brethren all of a sudden. Like, I survived. Yeah, the, the, I survived Action, Action Park.
1: Park. <laughs> My defense, I mean, very similar. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I didn't know I could die. I would, like, put a broken broom handle, tie it to a rope, and put it on the back of someone's, like, scooter or moped, and I would, like, rollerblade around town like that. I would throw all the pillows in the house onto the first floor of the house, go up to the second floor of the house, and jump off into that thing of pillows.
3: Been there, <laughs> done that, yeah.
1: I've, I've done the rope swing into a lake. It just wasn't in the environment of a park. <laughs> all these things are things that I truly would love and have a great time doing.
3: Yeah, we did it under bridges, into rivers. Right, <laughs>
1: exactly. It's an amazing time. Uh, 100%. The problem is... Somebody has to be in charge of it and it be in like when someone's in charge, they're in charge of people's safety. So it doesn't really work as a park idea, but every single ride is something that would have been completely my shit at some (laughs) point in my life. So I will say the park itself probably a net bad for the world but the fact that it existed if I had been there at the time I would have loved it it would have been my favorite place on earth (laughs) and that's why Defensive Action Park. Uh,
3: Yeah and especially if you didn't have anything else. Yeah. yeah. Kids need something to do. People need something to do and that stuff is always sort of going to evolve from something pretty raw anyway and so the first evolution of most things is pretty archaic and then it becomes something a little better and bigger but then you know if the, the shadier person is running the place and grifting the money out of it you know they're they're like they're making money as it is and they're just going to do as as minimal effort as possible to get as much money out of people as possible
2: exactly you're right it was essentially the first modern water park and if you consider how many people died just like figuring out which berries were poisonous and now we have blueberry pie and you know what this was action park was essentially that it was the berry testing early days
3: (laughs) they were the (laughs) guinea pigs (laughs) They were the (laughs) guinea pigs. That keep us alive today.
2: Well, I think that about covers it. We we've got the history of music parks. What we loved were obviously our own experiences growing up. Where it went wrong was Action Park and just the multiple deaths, which was incredible. It's amazing that you have more than one death on the same ride. I feel like at a certain point you chase a ride. The
3: first carnivals and 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 stuff like that used to. They used to have naked lady shows on the midway and stuff like that. Like not only were the they, they could the rides almost kill you, but the kid could see some boobies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burlesque
2: shows were a big part of it. You're
3: not gonna get that at disney world yeah, yeah. Get that at disney world?
1: that's my defense for those <laughs> <ladies. They fucking laughs> you're probably gonna see some shit at action park <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, well, we can't do do better than that. That, I mean, Disney, if you wanna take this suggestion, I feel like you're <laughs> gonna in, in, increase your clientele here. That's a whole
3: different park. You <laughs> will get my business done.
2: Well, guys, I mean, we obviously, we need to make this park happen. But but for now, thank you all for listening. Jeremy London, thank you so much for coming on today. This was an absolute blast. Hey man,
3: glad to be here. That was fun. We gotta do this again. Absolutely, Please. we'll have
2: you back anytime. Now yeah, we
3: still got aliens and like stuff to talk about.
1: We
2: have so much. We can cover pretty much anything. If at any
1: point you're just like, I wanna talk about something on a podcast give us a call we'll do it we'll have you on
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you all for listening jeremy thank you for being here to our listeners if you enjoyed this please subscribe give us five stars and again now uh, subscribe to our patreon it all helps us out so much we're gonna be back next week we hope you'll join us then as well when i'll see you next week bye 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 guys